0: Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody good? All right, hey, welcome to the Vineyard this morning. My name is Adam Russell, and I am the pastor here. Glad to have you in the house. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians, that's where we're at. We're going to be here for a good while. And uh, we're going to continue this slow walk through the letter. And I want to read a few verses this morning. The title of this morning's message is called A New Definition of Life. A New Definition of Life. And I want to read... Just a few verses for you this morning. We're going to start in verse 19 and we're going to finish up in verse 26. It goes like this. is the Apostle Paul. He says, For I know that as you pray for me, the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. We need to underline that one. <laughs> Anybody need a new life verse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, li- me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ. Parentheses. Die. Which would be better for me? But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again you will have even more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because of what He is doing through me. Man. Amazing passage. Amazing passage. So for the last few weeks, we've been uh, working our way through this letter, and we're going to be taking several more weeks to get through it. We're going to take a little break. Like I said last week, uh, during December, we're going to do Advent stuff, and then we'll jump back in this in January. January. But this is where we're going to be, and I'm not going to lie to you. This first chapter of Philippians, when you slow down at this pace that we're kind of going on, it, it, it reveals that so much of what Paul's talking about, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a huge challenge. It is a huge, huge challenge. It, it pretty much turns every cultural notion of success on its head. This has been the thing that's been resonating most with me. The way that Paul talks about winning, the way that Paul talks about uh, what is gain, the way that ta- Paul talks about what is, what is good and what is fruitful, it just it sort of runs counter to every cultural idea that, that, that we've been given. And so, and so this has been just a really a really challenging passage. Now, here's the thing. Uh, this is one of the things that I'm beginning to believe as well. Uh, I'm beginning to believe that when we, when we feel our cultural reflexes challenged, we would do well to perk up and pay attention. We would do well to perk up and pay attention. For instance, uh, part of what it means to be a person is this. Uh, We just automatically assume that everyone else views life exactly the way that we view life. Isn't that true? Think about some of the dumb arguments you've had with your family. Think about many of the dumb arguments that you've witnessed on Facebook this week. Let me just take a side note. Let's just can I do pastoral uh, Facebook work here for a second? Man, hey, if you're a part of the vineyard, why don't we just bow out on every Facebook argument, especially that has a political overtone for the next year? Can we do that? Could you do me the favor? Do me a favor. Yeah, but here's here's part of what it means to be a person. Part of what that means is, is that we just sort of naturally assume that everybody else is seeing the world exactly the way I see the world. So when I'm hanging out with Stephen, unless I do the very difficult work of self-reflection and the kind of self-reflection that only comes by prayer and scripture, by the way, I just assume that Stephen is basically thinking what I'm thinking. And I assume that Stephen basically sees the world the way I see the world. Only, here's the problem. After I hang out with Stephen a little while, I realize that he doesn't. And that doesn't mean he's wrong. It just means that he doesn't. Now, multiply this individual reality. Multiply it by regions. Multiply it by nations. And multiply it globally. And you see some of the issues that we're having even now. So here's part of what we're working against when we take a slow walk through the letter of Philippians. We're working against some of our own cultural assumptions. And by the way, it takes the gospel to loose us from cultural formation. Like when the real good news comes to us, it should occasionally shake us. We we need to occasionally be disturbed by the message of the kingdom. The truth is, you and I, we need to be reformed. The truth is this, salvation is moving away from cultural forms to kingdom forms. Salvation is moving from nationalistic definitions of winning to kingdom definitions of winning. It's the slow, the sudden, and oftentimes very painful process of moving from the way of life that we grew up with to the one that Jesus is trying to grow in our hearts right now. I just want to tell you something, church. A lot of the way that you grew up was pretty okay. But a lot of it will keep you from the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't mean that your mama and your grandmama and your granddaddy were bad people. It just means that cultural formation, which is always happening, if we buy it hook, line, and sinker, if we swallow it whole, it will will keep us from being able to lay hold of the kingdom that Jesus is trying to grow in our hearts, even right now. So, again, I'm challenged. This this passage that we read this morning, if you if you take a slow walk through it, if you begin to pray this for a week or so, it will cause you to be somewhat disturbed. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this passage in three sections, in three sections, and we're just going to open it up a little bit. The first section I want to take is verses 19 and 20. Let's read this here. Paul says, "For I know that as you pray for me, the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me" This will lead to my deliverance for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. We'll stop right there for a moment. Here's the thing. Um, Paul is in prison and even while he is in prison, he is remaining incredibly bold. Preaching Jesus is Lord. Preaching Jesus is Lord. And and what he's really getting at there, uh, Caesar is not. Is what got him put in prison. The true gospel always has a political overtone to it. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Got him put in prison. And even after he gets put in Roman jail, Paul continues to be bold. Do you see the boldness that he has on display here? Man, he's not backing up for Anything. And there isn't any inkling that Paul was tempted to change his message. He proclaimed the good news when it was a benefit, and then he continued to proclaim the good news even when it was a detriment. And for me, that's really impressive. Like, some things just never change. And we can do some mining there, but that's not even the point I want to get to. The first thing I want you to notice here is I want you to pay attention to all the verbs that are contained in verses 19 and 20, and there are several of them. I'm not a grammar genius. In all things grammar, I defer to Ray Hollenbach and and Andrea Giordano. I want this to be on the audio archive. Someone in, in the crowd just informed me that they are more better. And I agree. But I want you to pay attention to the verbs that exist here. Look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says. Knows, helps, will lead, expects, hopes, be bold, trust, brings. There's a lot of action here, right? A lot of action in two verses. And here's what's interesting to me. There's a lot of action words here, but Paul's in prison. Now, some of the verbs that Paul uses here are things that speaks to Paul's action, and then some of them are speaking to God's action. But the point remains that for a man who is in prison, there is a lot of verb talk happening. And then if you look really closely, one of the things you notice is that it's mostly internal. Where's the action at in this scripture? It's internal. It's the action of the heart. Here's the reason I break it up. See, here's the thing, church. The gospel has to take root in our hearts. The gospel has to take root in our hearts. Now, you and I both know this. Christianity is an action faith. In fact, the half-brother of Jesus, James, says that faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. But beneath all the action, and and, and believe me, if you follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things. But beneath all the action, there's a heart that has to be conquered with the good news. It first happens in our heart. Our faith is always getting worked from the outside, from the inside out. That's where the real battles are won and the real battles are lost. And Paul is demonstrating tremendous faith while enduring the greatest trial. And listen, when Paul is demonstrating the greatest faith while enduring the greatest trial, he's not fixated on who the warden of the prison is. And he's not fixated on when legal counsel will arrive. And he's not wringing his hands over what the plea bargain might be. Isn't that what you and I would have done? Like if if you and I were in prison, all of our verbs would be about worrying who's the warden, when's when's legal counsel coming, what's the plea bargain going to be, how much is this going to cost, those are the things. And none of that seems to appear in Paul's writing whatsoever. Rather, Paul was working it from the inside out. See, here's the thing, church. We've got to let the good news have access to our heart and to our minds. One of the things I've been challenged with this week, even while reflecting on this, is that you and I, we need to pay closer attention to the little movements of our heart and mind, to the little movements of thoughts and emotions. And we need to invite Jesus to be there And the very tiny things that maybe no one else sees, but they're on the inside. The little movements of our heart and the little movements of our mind. Some of us this week got really angry with things that we saw on Facebook and probably maybe even typed something out in anger. I mean, all of that is just a sign that we're losing the battle on the inside of our heart and mind. Like if, if, if cyber posts have control over our hearts and minds, where is there room for the Lord Jesus Christianity has worked from the inside out. Now, here's the other thing I want you to notice about all these little verbs that are in these two verses. I want you to notice that Paul begins with, I know, right? I know. But then look what happens by the time you get to verse 20. I fully expect and hope. Do you guys see any movement there? And then at the end of 20, he says, I trust. He begins with, I know, and then he moves to, I fully expect and hope, and then he moves to, I trust. In 19, he begins with, I know that I'll be delivered. By the time we end verse 20, he says, I hope and trust that whether I live or die, I'll bring honor to Jesus. One verse. Do you guys see the movement there? It's just so small, isn't it? It's just like a little, it's a little nuance. But I also want to point out that it wasn't unbelief or despair, but I think it's the gravity of the situation that's beginning to weigh on him. And here's why that's good news for you and I. It's good news because genuine faith, like real faith, it's still human. Genuine faith does not require that you and I disregard our humanity. It's still living and breathing. Genuine faith isn't robotic. Genuine faith isn't just saying the right words when we know we don't believe them. Genuine faith is not a mental program that we run over and over and over and over again, hoping that maybe something will change or hoping that maybe we'll begin to believe it. Real faith has these little blips. Now, if this were me, I'd probably be way more up and down. But one of the things that I see here is that Paul is moving from a really confident position of deliverance. And by the end of verse 20, he's moving to hope and trust that whether he lives or dies, he'll bring honor to Jesus. Faith is still human, people. Faith is not, and I want to be very clear here, faith is not the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Have you heard people say that? It's a joke. It, remo- it removes all of the blood right out of the, all of the all the marrow. All the blood, the marrow, just gets removed right out of anything that's alive. Faith is worked out. It's worked out in our hearts. Remember, it's inside out. It's worked out in our hearts, in real time. Sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. And in the process of it being worked out, God will not condemn us. It's kind of like babies who take their first steps. You guys remember when your little brother or your little sister took his first steps? You guys remember maybe when your firstborn child took his first steps or her first steps? A baby's first steps are a little bit wobbly. But then they practice. Right, And why do babies who are wobbly when they first begin to walk, why do they continue to work on walking? Because they have life on the inside of them. That's why. They keep on walking because there's a life that's within them that causes them to want to run. And then eventually, that baby becomes proficient in walking. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed this about me, but I'm proficient in walking. (laughs) I can occasionally even jog a bit. I'm pretty okay at jogging. But, as someone who is proficient in walking and someone who is pretty okay at jogging, I still sometimes trip and fall. And by the way... When those occasions come that I do trip and fall, it's not a sign that something is wrong. I hope you're getting this. Rather, when I trip and fall occasionally from jogging or walking or just not paying really super close attention, it's not really a sign that something is wrong. It's actually a sign that I'm still alive. That I'm going for it. That I'm trying to live within the potential that God has given me. See, real faith is not robotic, it's human. And I see it even in the Apostle Paul here. And it's okay. It's okay if you're still working it out as well. But here's the other thing that I see in these two verses. And this is equally important. So we have to do both sides of this. We always have to do both sides of this. Some of us are given to despair anytime we encounter encounter difficulty. And we need to realize... That that, that faith is human, that it is is sometimes up and down. But here's the other thing we have to realize. Um, Every single trial still has room in it for genuine faith. There is no difficulty that can choke out faith. No difficulty can choke out faith. Paul's in prison, and you guys understand, he's not coming out alive. And his faith is still alive, and it will not go away. Sickness cannot choke out real faith. Trials, financial difficulty, relational upheaval, none of these can remove all of the room for God. Some of of us in the room this morning, we may feel crowded in our pain, or we may feel confined in our sickness, or we may feel choked in our trials, but the good news is that there's still room for hope. There's still room for trust, and there's still room for faith. If it's true for the Apostle Paul, who's not going to come out alive, goodness gracious, it's true for you and I. I'll tell you a little story. A couple of years ago, I had this little bed. Uh, we do three little raised gardens every year. Uh, they're four feet wide by 12 feet long. <clears throat> and a couple, of, a couple, three or four years ago, I had this one little bed planted in nothing but strawberries, right? I planted it in strawberries, and strawberries are vining little guys. And so you plant one little strawberry, and it sends out these little runners. And as soon as the runner touches the ground, it puts down roots, and then that got, you know, you know what I mean? It's like a little web. And so I'd planted these strawberries in this bed, and it became completely covered in strawberries. And it was gorgeous. You know, I had my little, my little railroad tie bed, and it was, it was so neat. And then my little strawberries, they came up, and they were like perfect little green mounds. And so this 4x12 space was completely covered in strawberries. Or at least I thought it was completely covered in strawberries. And then one day, when I went out to investigate a little bit because the strawberries were about to become ripe, I noticed that in the middle of it, there was one little sprig of Bermuda grass. Do you guys know what Bermuda grass is? Yeah, you got to watch that stuff, right? And I thought, oh no, I know what this stuff is. And so I did my best, tried to get the roots, and I went down and I grabbed that Bermuda, and I pulled it out, and I threw it in the yard, and I went on about my business. Two weeks later, I came back. And I looked at my strawberry bed really closely. And what I discovered is that a third of it was covered in Bermuda grass. (laughs) See, faith is like Bermuda grass. You can't crowd it out. You, You can't crowd it out. Trials cannot crowd out all the room for hope. Even if you're really sick. Even if you have no money, even if it feels like everybody in your family hates you, there is a reason for hope. Even if you're in prison and you're not coming out, you can still trust that your life will bring honor to Christ whether you live or die. That's an amazing word. It's an amazing word. No Christian ever, ever, ever has reason for despair. Let me say it even stronger. Despair is a sin. If you understand what Paul's really talking about here, what you realize is despair is sin. No Christian has reason for despair. We, we, it is okay for our faith to be human. It's okay for our faith to move up and down. It's okay for us to experience... Knowing that we'll be delivered and it's okay for us to move to, I trust that whether I live or die, I'll bring honor to Christ. It's okay. All of that is okay. But no Christian has ever a reason for despair because trials cannot crowd out hope and faith. Let's move on. A couple more verses. These will go much quicker. 21 through 23. This is when it gets really interesting. This is when our ears perked up when I was reading it, right? Right? Paul says, for me to live, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Interesting, interesting little moment here. Some of us are wondering, is Paul giving like the go-ahead on Dr. Dr. Kevorkian? I don't know. Here's Paul's basic thinking. He's he's basically saying this. Well, if I stay alive, it's good because I can encourage you guys. If if I stay alive, I, it's good because there's gospel work to do, and uh, you guys are my work, and we can continue. We can continue building a community of faith. And if I die, it's good for me because I'll be with God in his presence and all of my trials will be over. Also, if you take 21 and 22 and you kind of like let 20 inform it a little bit, there's another reason why it's good for Paul to die because he's talking about bringing honor to Christ even in his death. There's something about being faithful even to the end There's something about being faithful to the end that is powerful in the Christian walk. Always has been. Anytime Christians are persecuted, there is something about an unrelenting faithfulness that has a way of causing the gospel to multiply and to spread, just like that virus that we were talking about last week. Just like you can't stamp out faith, you can't stamp out true belief, you can't stamp out christianity You just can't do it. There's something about that kind of thing. And so Paul says, hey, whether I live so I can be with you or whether I die so I can be with God, but then also demonstrate that I'm faithful to the end, that's also good. But here's what I've been seeing this week. And this is what's been encouraging me here this week. Paul says that it's good if he stays alive, but he also says that it's good if he dies, which means basically this. For the person who roots their life in Jesus, we can't lose. Can't lose. The, jo- the soil of Jesus produces everlasting fruit. And here's why it's good news. It's good news because we're living in a culture that's obsessed with winning. And it's a very narrow definition of winning. The definition of winning that our culture offers to us it's narrow and it has almost nothing to do with anything beyond today. American culture, American definitions of success are almost completely and exclusively focused on uh, how much more money am I getting today? How many more friends am I getting today? How much more liked am I today? How, 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 much, how much closer am I to another promotion or a bigger house or more esteem Or fill in the blank. I think we all understand this, right? I think we all feel the pressures of it even. Uh, In fact, some of us may not even be aware that we feel the pressure of it. Which is one of the reasons why everybody in the room needs to go take a two-week vacation at some point. Because it takes about two weeks for you to unplug from these realities. American culture is obsessed with winning. It is a particular kind of winning and it has almost nothing to do with anything other than today. That's it. But what we see for the person who is filled with the life of Christ, we see that that person cannot lose. And here we see Paul modeling for us a kind of winning that takes into account eternity as well. I can win if I stay here with you, because Mike can encourage me and I can encourage Mike. But if I die, I get to win as well because I have rooted myself in eternity. I have rooted myself in Jesus Christ. I will live forever with him. Now, here's the thing, Vineyard, a lot of us here, and I think for good reason, we have pushed against the standard trope of heaven when you die. And we have pushed against it because so much of southern gospel culture has been heaven only exists after you die. And we've pushed against that. We have prayed, Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In fact, Jesus tells us to do that do so. So we have tried to develop a heaven expectation while we're alive and we're going to continue to do it. But if we if we overcorrect If we overcorrect, all we'll do is we'll just run into the ditch on the other side, and we will let go, and we will begin to stop seeing the fact that there is an eternal, there is an eternal thing that's in play here, and that part of the gift of this life, part of the gift that we're actually laying hold of when we when we expect heaven today, we'll let go of heaven tomorrow. And I just want to tell you some things right now, church. There's some stuff that's going to happen, even in these next 70 or 80 years while you and I are alive, where God is going to break. Through And you're going to see heaven show up. Here's the other part, though. There are going to be some things where heaven is not going to show up, or at least you're not going to see it. And there are going to be some prayers that for whatever reason do not seem to be answered. And I promise you this, unless you have a hope that is rooted in an eternal Jesus, you will grow in despair. We need to lay hold of heaven today, but also without, laying hold, without letting go of heaven tomorrow. For the person who is rooted in Jesus Christ, we cannot lose. We cannot lose. And then finally, verses 24 and 25. Verses 24 and 25, he says, but for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow And experience the joy of your faith. New definition of life. A brand new definition of life. I want you to look at how Paul is connecting the word life to other people. I hope you notice this. Paul says, for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. I'm convinced I'm going to remain alive so I can help you guys grow and experience the joy of your faith. What is true life, Vineyard? What is true life? Well, if we're to believe the Apostle Paul, and I think we should. (laughs) True life, true life is living for other people. I think this is the real definition of life. And you know what? It rings true and everybody in here knows it. We all know it It is, and it's so difficult, but we need to hear it over and over and over again. And so I'm going to preach to you one more time. Church, life is not acquisition. True life is not your growing 401k. True life is not recognition or awards. And here's the thing, none of those are evil, but none of those things will keep the flame of Jesus alive in your heart. None of those will keep any of you going. When your 401k grows, guess what you'll want? More. When you win an award, guess what you want next? Another award. And when you get a promotion, guess what you want next? Another promotion. And pretty soon, pretty soon you've lived 30 years of your life chasing something that never satisfies. How much money is enough? A little bit more. How many wards are enough? The next one. How many job promotions do I need to be satisfied? Another one. How big of a house is it going to take me to feel like I have made myself a place in this world? A bigger one. How much land do I need? My neighbor's farm. Go go and listen, absolutely go and hang out with guys. Here's what guys want. They want their own property after they get their own property. guess what they're dreaming about? their neighbor's property. This is universally true. It never stops. It never stops. We have an unlimited appetite for more. These are all the cultural forms that will actually rob you from the life of Jesus. And Paul is offering us a new definition of life. He says, I'm going to remain alive so that I can see your faith grow in joy. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Man, this is life. This is life. I had the distinct pleasure of officiating a marriage on Friday night. I married Carl and Kelly. In one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever done. It was super cool. Right? And when I was marrying them, I read the little passage from Paul out of Ephesians 5. Where Paul says, wives, you should submit to your husbands. And husbands, you should love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Right? And and by the way, people hate that passage these days, right? (laughs) They totally hate that passage because it has... The word "wife" and it has the word "submit" in it, and and understand that a lot of that hatred is is well worn because men have used that to rig the system. But if you really see what Paul's saying there, he's saying, "Wives, I want you to give up some part of your life for your husband, and husbands, I want to I want you to give up your whole life for your wife." What 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 is Christianity? Christianity is never living for yourself; it's always living for the other person. Yeah. And if we continue to live for the American success gods, we will always wander into the, into the territory of full idolatry and the whole time we'll think we have Jesus along with us and he'll be nowhere around. Life is serving others. This is who Jesus is. This is who Paul was. This is who we're called to be as well. And in fact, if you read, if you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, what you see is that Jesus came to serve... And then Peter went and served and then Philip went and served and then Paul went like this is this is what all the guys do. Like all my heroes, all my heroes, they're all they're always the servants, right? It's an amazing thing. All my heroes are the servants. And as I grow in Jesus, as I grow in Jesus, I'm finding an ability to disconnect from the American cultural forms that have so enticed me becoming less and less fascinated with people who want to just extract the goodness from other people and spend it on themselves. And I'm becoming more attracted to the Jesus model. I'll leave you with one more passage. It's, it is my favorite passage. I'll just tell you the story. Um, because it's so great. It just highlights this whole thing so well. It's, it's John chapter 2, right? And this is a wedding. This is where Jesus turns water into wine. Probably about 180 gallons. I've done the math. It's 1,200 bottles. (laughs) This is for people who've already had too much to drink. And in the process of turning water into wine, in the process of turning water into wine, Jesus is only working with the servants. He says to the servants, go take the water And turn it into the wine and take it to the headmaster. Meanwhile, the party's going on. So I want you to imagine the party's in this one room. And in a back hallway, there's some whispering. They've come to Jesus. They've come to Jesus. And Jesus tells two servant guys, he says, I want you to go take the water pots. I want you to fill them all the way up. And then draw a little bit out and take it to the headmaster, right? And in the drawing out and in the taking, somehow that water becomes wine. And the headmaster drinks it and says, I don't know what this stuff is, but it's the best. And they serve it. Party's going on the whole time, right? When you read the passage, one of the things you realize is that at the end of the passage, nobody gives Jesus a hand clap. Nobody gives Jesus a standing ovation. And in fact, Jesus doesn't get any credit at all. In fact, the bridegroom of the wedding gets the credit. And Jesus never sets them straight. Now, there's eschatological overtones, meaning into the age overtones in this passage, because Jesus is the bridegroom, and he will eventually get the credit. But in the moment, he gets no credit. And the only people who knows what happened are the servants. Like, where's the money at, guys? Where's the life at? This is such a consistent theme through the Gospels. It is astonishing to me that the American church has so missed it. The money is in the serving. The money is in the serving. You want to know what God's really up to? Become a servant. Become a servant. You want to know where the life really is? Spend your life on other people rather than yourselves. You want to drink the best wine first? Live your life for other people. You want to see the miracles? Live your life for other people. It has occurred to me, it seems like there's two choices that that, uh, that lay before us oftentimes. Uh, on the one hand, we could just go with American cultural forms of success and be the sort of people who could go and buy some wine or we could live for other people and we could let the Son of Man make the wine. Would you rather be the kind of person who could buy a bottle of wine or would you rather be the kind of person who is watching the Son of Man do the impossible? I'm leaning more and more over here. I'm trying my best to lean over here. I I see what it is. I see what it is. More and more I see what it is. Some of us feel like we have no life anymore. Some of us feel like we never had a life. Well, here's the good news. You can have all the life you want. Because people's need is inexhaustible. Start with your family. So let me just be real pastoral here. If you want to have life, start with your family. Husbands, lay down your life just like Jesus lays down for the <laughs> church. And wives, love your husbands. Starts right there. And moms and dads, love your kids. Start right there. But then don't stop right there because that's just more American tribalism. And don't dream about taking your neighbor's property. Dream about helping them keep it. Work out. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know your neighborhood. Begin to serve those people really, really well and then begin to love on Campbellsville in a brand new way people that you didn't imagine do something a little extra and when you do something extra for the love of for the love of Jesus don't tell anybody do what he says right cuz this is where the life is amen amen i think i've stirred up enough trouble i'm feeling weepy i'm feeling weepy but i'm not sad oh man i'm not sad Heck no! All right, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. I'm weepy and I'm snotty. Oh my goodness, this is unbecoming. Oh, why don't we do this? Why don't you stand up and let's just um, let's enjoy Jesus here for a minute. Oh, Jesus, we want to be more like you. God, would you cause the life that the Apostle Paul so clearly had, would you cause it to burst forth in our own lives? God, for anybody here who's given to despair, would you cause new faith to spring out, spring up? And God, I ask that you would, oh my goodness, God, that you would give us the courage to lean into the kingdom life. Which isn't acquisition, but it's giving. Even now, God, would you... Would you speak to our minds and our hearts? Would you even show us maybe a thing or two that we could do this week to lean into the giving side of the kingdom? God, would you make it abundantly practical? And God, would you give us the courage to act? We ask this in the name of Jesus, who did not come to be served, but came to serve. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond to the message or if you're sick in your body, come on up. We want to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high-five and a hug. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.